0: Our scripture reading for today comes from the second chapter of Ephesians, on page 1159 in your pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated with us in him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus.
1: I had a pastoral first this morning. Not a good pastoral first. I didn't want this to be a pastoral first kind of morning for this thing, but I I arrived at the church early Sunday morning as I tried to do. And uh, as I got here, I had planned to to work on the Sunday school. I thought the Sunday school preparation was a little weak. It needed a little uh, buffing up. And it turns out my computer crashed over the night. The sermon evaporated into the digital abyss. And uh, so I'm sitting there, first trying to recover the sermon. Can't recover the sermon. The file's corrupted. Left to say... Um, well Lord I guess you didn't want me to preach that <laughs> what do you want me to preach let's play I mean let's pray before audience uh, let's pray before we figure that out together father God we come here on a morning where a great many things are happening or will happen with A congregational meeting with uh, surprises along the way, with a a stream that's struggling to work at the moment. Um, And yet, you're the God who cuts through the chaos. You're the person we need to go to when we feel overwhelmed. And so, Lord, I pray that we just see how you can cut through the chaos this morning and to bless us from heaven on high. I ask you to do this through the preaching of your word, through Enjoyment of the sacraments through all through the psalm. Through just general joy at the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So last time we now shift into chapter two, and last time uh, we were in chapter two was two weeks ago when Bruce preached on how um on the way we were. That uh, was actually the title of his sermon the way we were, and really how there's a, a problem, really, with cancel culture because, in one sense, we've all been canceled. And yet, through Christ, through the gift of Christ, we've been given a new path to the world. And so I hope to, to build on that idea here this morning, and, and really build on that idea and that story. Because really, that's a that's, uh, a part of what the Bible story is for us, as you will see. Now, when it comes to stories, there is a professor, his name is Matthew Jockers, and he's gone through thousands upon thousands of thousands of novels, both using computers and a light, and in each story he, he saw similar themes and similar patterns, and then at the end of it all, he basically said there are six types of stories. There are rags-to-riches stories. A steady rise from bad to good fortune. There are riches-to-rags stories. A fall from good to bad. A tragedy. There are Icarus kind of stories. There's a, a rise, and you get close to the sun, and then you fall in fortune. There's an Oedipus story a fall, a rise, and a fall again. There's a man in the hole kind of story of where you start with a fall and there's a rise. And then there's the last kind of story. The story we'll kind of begin with, the Cinderella story he put in. The rise, the fall, the rise. Which leads us to ask the following question as believers. When we were a people who needed saving. What was salvation's story for us? What was salvation's story? I think when it comes to it, a lot of Christians like to think our story of our lives, and when it comes to the salvation of God, began in a Cinderella kind of story. We were the the person with the heart of gold. We were the individual... We could always find a reason to sing a good song. We, We always had a smile even when conditions were awful and terrible around us. We were so kind, even the rodents loved us. The animals. We could be kind to even cats named after Satan. That's how kind we are. We just needed a Prince Charming to come along and his men to rescue us. Is that the Bible's story for us? Is that the story of Ephesians chapter 2? We just got that wicked stepmother out of the way. Then things would be right. But as Ephesians 2 begins, as Paul tells us what our story of salvation is like, Paul doesn't see us as Cinderella's story As we read and say, let's hear those words again that Bruce covered two weeks ago and read from the pulpit this morning. And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. We're by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. As we read the Apostle's word, now let us go back to that story of Cinderella. Does he think we're Cinderella? Maybe he thinks we're the, the pudgy king with the hot temper, but still has a smile. That's, that's glorious. Or, or are we the prince? Are we Gus Gus, the lovable mouse? No. That's not the Apostle story. The Apostle story is we're closest to the wicked stepmother. We were closest before Christ to the wicked stepmother. And that creates the big, uh, an early tension with this, with what Paul is saying. Because while we can watch Cinderella and we can just delight in the fact that she is rescued, that she is saved. Not even prisoners on death row come to the ending of Cinderella and say, you know who got the raw deal? The evil stepmother. You know how that story could have been better if she had been saved? We don't write stories that way. And yet Paul is saying, God writes stories that way. And so that's an incredible thing for us. If Disney animated the movie that had followed the tale of scripture, it wouldn't be the best seller it is today. It wouldn't, I think it still survived cancel culture. I don't think it's fallen under the fate of the Muppets or uh, Dr. Seuss. Who knows? Stay tuned. Walt Disney had written stories like that. His company would have been long gone to the world, and his modern company couldn't cancel the stories that he previously had written. God, but God, but God writes a different story. And that's really what we see here at the start of verse 4. Paul says, but God writes stories of salvation like that. And not just for a few people. It's not just that God saves some of us as wicked stepmothers. But it's that same kind of story for everyone. In different ways, of course, in different ways. Uh, degrees, but we're all the man in the whole story with no hope in the dark pit called, struggling with sin and our own depravity until Christ grabs a hold of us. Because of the fact that moments after our first parents stopped caring about what God said, because of that reality, but God said not to eat it. We became corrupted and evil things. Uh, and it, we have an evil disposition. We're set against God before He comes to rescue us. I mean, even the women, there in Isaiah chapter 6 recently. And what do those angels not dare do? They don't dare to look at the throne of heaven. I and mean, have those angels ever sinned? No, they have never sinned. And yet the holiness of God is so great. And they realize in comparison, even a sinless angel is so small, they do not dare look upon it. And yet we, made lower than the angels, we rebelled. And yet in that rebellion, Adam and Eve's rebellion, it's not the last word, because we have another word, but God. The words by God are throughout the scriptures. Let me give some examples. Genesis 8.1 But God, remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made the wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt. They quit for battle. But God, as Psalm forty-nine, verse fifteen, says, "Will ransom my soul from the pit, from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me." Selah. Jonah, four nine. But God said to Jonah, "Do you do well to be angry for the plant?" Yes, I do well to be angry," he replied. Of course, angry enough to die. Acts ten forty. But God raised him, Jesus, on the third day and made him appear. Acts thirteen thirty, but God raised him from the dead. Romans five eight, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. We're here as we read in Ephesians chapter two verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us. Every time we don't like that story of the fact that before salvation came upon us, we were closer to the wicked stepmother than we were Cinderella, don't forget the fact that God still has a greater story to tell But God. As we can see through these two little words, but God. God loves to change our stories. He loves to give us a better narrative, a more life-giving path. Even though, like our first parents, we try to meddle with his story, he loves to change it yet again, to rescue us. So that's why God's tale is a completely different tale than a Cinderella story. And that should then have us ask, why? Why does God save evil stepmothers? And Paul answers that. God is rich in mercy. Our God is rich. Lately I've taken to uh, the habit of day trading. I I discovered that Robin Hood app on my phone. And I am trading stock. You're looking at a man who owns Kellogg's stock. That's impressive, right? And uh, we were at Energy Station on Thursday for Audrey's birthday. And apparently they wanted it to be all about Audrey because I'm busy going, Hey, my Kellogg stock is up. I'm up $20. I'm already thinking, that'll cover one-third of the meal. Wonderful. (laughs) My my kids and my wife, they've had it up to here, the end of it. They don't want to hear anymore about my stock tree. $20 here and there. I'm not rich. So it's not impressive. So let's find someone who's impressive to talk about. Elon Musk is rich. Elon Musk in January was worth $210 billion. He was the richest man in the world back in January. Apparently since then he's lost $53 billion in value. I don't know what his visit to the energy station would sound like. Um that's a lot of money. 53 billion dollars. That's rich. And then when you lose 53 billion dollars and you're still one of the richest people in the world, wow, that's super rich. But when the Bible talks about rich, it's even more than Elon Musk kind of rich. How rich? How wealthy is our God? Since humanity has fallen into sin, we have been accruing debts, even far faster than the national debt. For thousands and, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, people have lived and died, had their existence, and because the standard of God's love is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your life. With all your, all your, and love your neighbor as yourself. And um, who can do that for a minute? Only Jesus. We've just been accruing debts. Historic debts. And yet God is so rich that there is only one time in history he needed to make a deposit. The deposit took a little time. It took the course of 33 years. But really, in even a a more significant sense, it really reached its apex. The real payment that was shouted out that I have paid it in full, my Father. The Telestai was upon a cross 2,000 years ago. And God is so wealthy and so rich and so abundant that that singular moment has the power to forgive all the evil stepmothers of the world. And us too. But riches are not everything. The Apostle Paul knows this. Just because God has riches, it doesn't mean that it does us any good. And yet the Apostle Paul lets us know that God's riches do well for us because He greatly loves us. He greatly loves those who didn't love Him first. God greatly loves the villains. And He loves changing them. And He loves making wicked stepmothers into someone who looks like his son. That's a God who's great in love. Because you can be rich, but if you don't aren't rich and still love, it's worth it. You know, in a moment we're gonna talk about the budget upstairs at old gosh happen. The church budget. That's a dangerous thing to talk about a church budget. Um see where the finances go, the money goes. One of the incredible things I just want to say about that before we get there, it really was one of the most encouraging moments of the year. During the last quarter, we kind of reached a moment in the consistory where we could have probably made the numbers work. We probably could have zeroed out. People have been so generous and have uh, blessed in giving to this ministry this year, we probably could have not taken anything from our our savings accounts, the stock market accounts, and probably balanced the budget. We probably could have done that. And, And we even kind of had excuses not to do that. We didn't have our oyster picnic, which usually brings in a significant amount of money. And I am so proud of the fact that the consistory and this church by extension decided to give our most generous year to missions. Because you can be rich, but to be rich without love isn't really modeling the kind of love that our God has here. And and really, I hope that this becomes a year that even that we still gave richly in missions that when we look back on this time next year, we go hey, we've discovered new ways to be generous, new ways to give, new ways to be missional, new ways to be out Maybe even, you know, we have a pavilion over there, and I keep rattling in my brain, and, and Matt Holochetti has connected us with a ministry that might be able to use it. Maybe give food to families that needed it. I mean, the government picked our church as a place to give out 24,000 meals because they said, this is a good location to do that. Maybe we can start coming up with ways to be more outward-facing, more loving, as well Means nothing. It's not connected with love. It's that loving part. Elon Musk isn't going to help me when my Kellogg stock goes in the tank. He doesn't love me.
0: Wish he would love me with
1: that kind of money, but he doesn't. But God, God is rich, and that richness is combined with love.
0: And then we reach our final
1: verse this morning. See, Pat, you were all excited. I lost my sermon. You said it's going to be a short one. Pat King. You were excited, I lost my sermon. He said it'd be a short one. I, I warned you. I said, I can ramble. I can ramble. <laughs> she goes, Oh, that's good! That's good, it's gonna be a short one. Then we reach our final verse this morning. Ephesians 2, 5, which says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made you made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And that Verse might be most amazing of all. Notice first here, Paul doesn't just say you are the wicked stepmother, he says we. He includes himself. Christianity is an enlightenment religion where we're trying to become the apostle. We're a collective faith, and the collective faith starts with the fact that we are, uh, we started as dead. We all share in the same lot. We were impoverished in sin. We were villains set against God. We were dead in all our sins. And yet God made us alive in Christ. And we live in a world that is far less amazed by Christianity day by day. And it gets discouraging. It really does. I hate to see it. Depression rates are through the roof. They're at historic levels in the United States right now. And where do you get to depression? You get to the depression in the point where you think there's nowhere else to go. There's no more life beyond this point. And the whole testimony of Scripture is the fact that our God has the power to give new life into death. It's a story of resurrection. And so, however, when we live in this world that seems to be less amazed with Christianity, I want you to appreciate the fact, I want you to remember these verses. Because God saves the villain. God saves the enemy. God saves the Paul who was killing Christians, being a part of the murder of Christians, and said, Paul, you write more books than anybody else in the New Testament. That's how our God works. And so, just because it looks a little different, don't forget the Lord is still in his power, his life-giving power. He is still allowing resurrections to go on daily in communion. And cities and countries all around the world. So, while governments can crack down on Christianity, they can never stop God's power to bring people to new life. And those same villains can become the greatest, some of the greatest stories of faith around. They often become the next generation of believers because God writes a better story than Cinderella. And it doesn't follow the pattern of this world, but this morning, enjoy his story. Celebrate his grace and mercy. Bask in his love. Stand confident in his riches. While Ephesians chapter 2 begins in a way where we at first don't want to accept it, hopefully this morning you begin to see how God still has a wonderful story in the end. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the God who does not run away from the storm and the chaos, you don't even run away from your enemies, but you boldly come to face them. You face them in the personal work of Jesus Christ, and in your facing them, you and your gracious and rich mercy have granted a few of us to behold Behold the beautiful peacemaker who offers us his embrace. We thank you that you have embraced us even though we were the villains. We were the worst of all. And yet you loved us. Help us to not forget that story. Help us to share that story with others. Help us to help others come to redemption. To come to see that this is the place where new life is found. At the feet of Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.